Chapter Eleven, Part Three of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sir Jeremiah's Will, Part Three. Events crowded thick and fast on that day. One of the most miserable I have ever lived through. After an early tea, which my dear lady had alone in her little boudoir, she sent me down to ask Captain Hubert to come up and speak to her. He did so at once and I went into the next room, which was Lady Molly's bedroom, to prepare her dress for the evening. I had, of course, discreetly closed the door of communication between the two rooms, but after the first five minutes Lady Molly deliberately reopened it, from which I gathered that she actually wished me to know what was going on. It was then a little after four o'clock. I could hear Captain de Mazarin's voice, low-toned and infinitely tender. He adored my dear lady, but he was a very quiet man, and it was only by the passionate tensity of his attitude when he was near her that a shrewdly observant person could guess how deeply he cared. Now through the open door I could see his handsome head bowed very low, so that he could better look into her upturned eyes. His arms were round her, as if he were fighting the world for the possession of her, and would never let her go again. But there were tears in her eyes. "'Hubert,' she said after a while, "'I want you to marry me, will you?' "'Will I?' he whispered, with an intensity of passionate longing which seemed to me then so unutterably pathetic that I could have sat down and had a good cry. "'But,' rejoined Lady Molly earnestly, "'I mean as soon as possible. Tomorrow, by special license. You can wire to Mr. Hereford to-night, and he will see about it first thing in the morning. We can travel up to town by the night train. Father and Mary will come with me. Father has promised, you know, and we can be married to-morrow.' I think that would be the quickest way. There was a pause. I could well imagine how astonished and perturbed Captain Hubert must be feeling. It was such a strange request for a woman to make at such a time. I could see by the expression of his eyes that he was trying to read her thoughts. But she looked up quite serenely at him, and frankly, I do not think that he had the slightest inkling of the sublime motive at the back of her strange insistence. "'You prefer to be married in London rather than here?' he asked quite simply. "'Yes,' she replied. "'I desire to be married in London to-morrow.' A few moments later my dear lady quietly shut the door again, and I heard and saw no more, but half an hour later she called me. She was alone in her boudoir, bravely trying to smile through a veil of tears. Captain Hubert's footsteps could still be heard going along the hall below. Lady Molly listened until the final echo of that tread died away in the distance, then she buried her sweet face on my shoulder and sobbed her very heart out. "'Get ready as quick as you can, Mary,' she said to me when the paroxysm had somewhat subsided. "'We go up to town by the nine-ten. "'Is his lordship coming with us, my lady?' I asked. "'Oh, yes,' she said, whilst a bright smile lit up her face. "'Father is simply grand. "'And yet he knows.' "'Knows what, my lady?' I queried instinctively, for Lady Molly had paused, and I saw a look of acute pain once more darken her soft grey eyes. "'My father knows,' she said slowly and almost tonelessly, "'that half an hour ago the police found a weighted stick in the Elkhorn Woods, not far from the spot where Mr. Stedman was murdered. The stick has the appearance of having been very vigorously cleaned and scraped recently, in spite of which fact tiny traces of blood are still visible on the leaden knob. The inspector showed my father that stick. I saw it, too. It is the property of Captain Hubert de Mazarin, and by to-morrow, at the latest, it will be identified as such. There was silence in the little boudoir now, 
a silence broken only by the sound of dull sobs which rose from my dear lady's overburdened heart. Lady Molly at this moment had looked into the future, and with that unerring intuition that has since been of such immense service to her, she had already perceived the grim web which fate was weaving round the destiny of the man she loved. I said nothing. What could I say? I waited for her to speak again. The first words she uttered after the terrible pronouncement which she had just made were, "'I'll wear my white cloth gown to-morrow, Mary. It is the most becoming frock I have, and I want to look my best on my wedding day.'" End of Part 3 of Sir Jeremiah's Will